0: I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18 and just kind of hold your finger there because we'll get there eventually. It's kind of where I want to launch from, but I want to talk about a subject that is just really central, critical to our faith and Christianity in general. Christianity, I don't know if, you know, you think about these things or you know much about other religious systems. But Christianity is unique in many ways. And among one of the things that that is most unique about Christianity is the emphasis on forgiveness. One of the subjects in church to bring up that just makes people a little bit on edge, one of them is forgiveness. I can give you a, a guess on what the second one might be, and that's giving, okay? See, the room just went cold when I said that word. All right. No, we're not talking about giving today, but we are talking about forgiveness. And it is central to Christianity. You take forgiveness out of Christianity and you have nothing, okay? And uh, other religious systems do not place an emphasis on forgiveness. Might even advocate things like revenge like uh, getting even, or holding grudges, or holding unforgiveness. But Christianity over and over again implores us to be a forgiving people. And forgiveness is one of the high differences between our faith and Christianity and other faith systems. It's a key component. At the beginning of the year, we we announced that our uh, our theme for the year would be above and beyond. That springs out of this chapter, Matthew 18, and probably I think we're on verse 22, where Peter asks Jesus a key question. He says, if my brother offends me, how many times do I, am I obligated to forgive him? And Peter throws out kind of a generous offer to the Lord. He says, you know, if, if he offends me, he says, should I forgive him up to seven times? How many I good with seven times? Okay, I'm the only sinner in the room. I get it. Okay. But how many times do we want to actually forgive somebody? And I think seven times is pretty generous. I mean, that's at least, you know, once an hour in a work day, almost, you know what I'm talking about. And yet Jesus says, oh, he said, no, I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven, 490 times. I don't know how that fits into a day. That'd be like forgiving every 10 minutes. And I'm still good with seven, okay? What Jesus is really saying is that let's not keep score. Let's not keep track. The spirit of forgiveness is to move on. I think Jesus making a play on words there—not seven times, but seventy times seven. It's not that we're to count out four hundred and ninety times that we're supposed to forgive somebody in a day. It's that we just lose track. Get above that. Get beyond that. Let's live differently than maybe what comes natural to us. Key and central to this, and this is a subject we don't hear as much. You know, right now we seem to be for you know the last decade in christian churches everywhere we hear a lot about grace how many know grace is good yes we hear god's grace and it is good and it is wonderful and it's and it's certainly worthy to be preached about talked about taught about so grace is good but there's a component with grace and we hear it but we kind of kind of mention it and then kind of move on quickly and that's equally important is god's mercy okay Grace and mercy. They're not the same thing. They're not synonymous. They don't interchange. They are kind of oppositely different, but they dovetail and complement perfectly. Let me explain. What is grace? Well, we, we have several working definitions of God's grace, but unmerited favor is one we hear a lot. God's, you know, unmerited. What does that mean? We did nothing to deserve, right? Unmerited. God's favor. So God's favor towards us is ours because of nothing that we actually did, nothing that we worked for or paid for. Uh, but God is just full of grace towards us. Grace is getting, receiving, what we don't deserve. Okay? Romans three twenty three For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we quickly go to... Um, uh, romans six twenty three uh, which says that the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what we deserve, okay? So, any sinners in the room? I know I volunteered for that. Okay, all right. A few more brave souls out there. Thank you. So we are sinners, and what we deserve because we have sinned is death. That's what we deserve to get, all right? that verse doesn't end there, Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what grace is all about, is that he gives us eternal life even though we did nothing to deserve it. In fact, the things that we did do, we deserve the opposite of life, and that's death. Okay, so that's grace in a quick nutshell, And, and grace is deep in long to explore, and uh, so worthy of that. But let's talk about the companion to grace, and that's God's mercy. Mercy is a lot like grace, except opposite, is that we don't get, or I, I should say, yeah, we don't get what we do deserve. God gives us grace in giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we do deserve, and that's, that's uh, death. And so let me explain it this way: If you go to the court, and maybe, maybe you broke a speeding law, and a nice officer in our community gave you a ticket—not a ticket to a concert, right? Gave you a ticket, not a ticket to pass go and collect two hundred dollars, but he gave you a ticket because you were speeding, and he gave you a ticket to appear in court. Let me just give you some advice. When you go to court you stand before the judge or magistrate, do not ask for justice. Okay? Because justice is cold. Justice is hard. Justice is exacting. What you do ask for when you stand before the court is you ask for mercy. Right? The ticket says you offended. The ticket says you are traveling too fast in our community, so you get fined based on that. We look for mercy for things that we have done wrong, and we don't want to pay the penalty for. And so God, through his grace, he gives us things we, we uh, don't deserve. Eternal life is a case in point. And then mercy, he doesn't give us the things that we do deserve, like justice. And which would result in our eternal death. And so God is merciful. That, that is part of his divine nature. That is one of his attributes. Attributes are things that if you remove them from God, he ceases to be God, okay? Another attribute you might be familiar with is uh, God's omnipresence. So what is that? That means God is everywhere present at once. The psalmist explored that. I uh, said, if I, if I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I, if I go into the depths of the sea, behold, you are there. There's nowhere where we can go where God's present isn't already there. In the darkness, in the light, in the height, in the depth, God is already there because he is everywhere present at once. And that is one of his attributes. He ceases to be God if we remove that attribute from him. Okay? ceases to be who he is. And mercy is also like that, is that God is a merciful God, and it is one of the uh, attributes that uh, he exercises towards us. We are benefactors of his mercy, and without God's mercy applied to us, we would be under the harsh weight of justice of the law that we all have broken. Let's look at, uh, I know you have your finger in Matthew 18, but if you can find the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse 5, great verse in there and it says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done. So what is, what is that phrase? What is a work of righteousness? Well, that is all the, the good things that we do, okay? So when we give to the Lord, that's a work of righteousness. When we help old ladies across the street, uh, that is a work of righteousness. When we say nice things to our neighbor, that is a work of righteousness. In other words, you know, when we're good people, all right? How many know that we should be good, right? How many know that being a good person does not get us into heaven? You know that? I heard just last night, I saw a trailer of a uh, television show. There was a discussion between two people. Uh, The one person asked the other, Are you going to go to heaven? And the reply was, Well, you have to be a good person to go to heaven. And I thought, Man, no wonder people believe that. They hear that everywhere. How do we know you don't have to be a good person to go to heaven? And you're going, what? <laughs> it's what Titus 3.5 is telling us. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not because we're good people. And let me say this. We're not against being a good people. I hope you are a good person. I hope you are. I hope knowing Jesus makes us better versions of what we once were. But that's not the ticket into heaven we're not going to arrive at heaven's gate with a badge that says certified good person right here and present that or some kind of good person credentials at the gate of heaven. That's not going to happen because that's not the entrance to eternal life. That's not the entrance to heaven. Now, I hope, like, like I said, I hope that you are good people. I hope that, you know, you You uh, get along with your neighbors and, and you do nice things and all of that thing, motivated by the love of Christ in your heart. All of those things, but that is not the answer to heaven. Let's go on. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according, okay, according to his mercy, he saved us. It was his mercy that saved us. God had mercy on us that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for our sins. That's what scripture tells us. He didn't wait for us to be good people so Jesus could die for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he gave us mercy that we might experience eternal life. So not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Mercy. It's what we long for when we've done wrong. And when we come to Christ, we ask for the forgiveness of our sin. And if God was not a merciful God, we would not receive that because we would only get justice for which we deserve to die. But when we come and say, Jesus, would you please forgive me of all my sin? In his mercy, he grants us forgiveness. So, That's why Christianity is all about forgiveness. There is no time that we are more like God. Hear me out here. There is no time that we are more like God than when we forgive. What does God do to us? He forgives us. And we are never more like God than when we forgive others. Think about that. We want to be like Jesus. Forgiveness is a big part of that. Now, the problem is, in in my experience, many Christians, and myself at times, we're not very good at forgiveness. Did I just say that? We as Christians, sometimes we struggle with forgiveness. We want to justify our offense, right? And we're good at it. Um, What do they say? We judge everybody by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions, right? So we let ourselves off the hook. Well, I did that wrong, but you got to understand I didn't mean to, right? Or what I was really trying to do was a good thing and so therefore you should let me off the hook. But other people, we we judge by their actions. You did wrong and you need to pay. Especially, you know, as Christians, I mean, we're we're taught really to have high standards for ourselves and for each other. And and that just expectations are high. So I know you're a Christian and you do something, you do something that offends me, hurts my feelings, or wrongs me and injures me in some way. You gotta pay because you know better. And I'm not I'm not letting you off the hook because my expectations have been disappointed. And so sometimes we have a very difficult time. forgiveness, and and sometimes with each other, even as Christians and believers. And uh, I won't ask a show of hands, but how many have ever known of two Christians who couldn't forgive each other? That's a problem. That's a problem. It should not be that way. We who receive God's mercy and his forgiveness of our sin, we are expected to give what we have received, right? And it's difficult for us. I I will say, let me counterpoint that, that I've met Christian people who have worked through very difficult offenses, and through the power of Jesus have forgiven those who hurt them so deeply. And it has made them exceptional people. Perhaps you know people like that. Something, some injustice, some wounding, some kind of offense happened to them, they struggled with the whole forgiveness issue, but trusted Christ through that process and were able to extend forgiveness for that offense. And it has transformed them, right? Some of the most powerful people, just as people um, I've met, who have that kind of experience and testimony that God helped them overcome a serious and deep offense. And it has made them just incredible people. But uh, by and large, I will say Christians often don't get a passing grade when it comes to forgiving offenses. And we really need to change this. And where does that start? With that person who offended us, right? No. Who, who is the only person on the planet we have power to change? Ourselves. And that's where forgiveness needs to begin. We really need to change this, and to live above and beyond requires it, and to live in God's mercy also requires it. So if you have your finger in Matthew 18, it's time to open that. And I'm going to start at verse 23. Jesus is telling a story here. I want you to, to read or listen to this story with the idea of mercy in mind, okay? Where, do you see where mercy plays out here? So Jesus says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now 10,000 of anything is a lot, but a talent uh, by itself is a lot. So 10,000 talents is an immense sum. If we could just maybe in the loosest of terms and inflation-adjusted numbers and all of those things, we might say that this servant owed the king 10 million dollars, okay? Now, um, I'm just curious, how many have a spare 10 million dollars lying around? I'm just curious. If you do, talk to me after service, okay? (laughs) Okay. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Right. So, oh, we were reading, weren't we? Here we go. All right. One was brought to him who owed him $10 million. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he, that he be sold, sold into slavery, with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made okay we're going to cut our losses here it's going to be pennies on the dollar sell those miserable people into slavery and the money will go to satisfy the debt that they can't pay the servant therefore fell down before him saying master have, have patience with me and i will pay you all And the master of that servant was moved with compassion you could put mercy in that spot was moved with mercy and released him and forgave him the debt. Powerful. But that servant, the same servant, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. What is a hundred denarii? Well, uh, we read also in scripture, Jesus tells other parables, other stories. If you remember the, the man who owned a vineyard and he went into the marketplace in the morning to hire workers to harvest his vineyard Uh, he says, if you work all day, I will agree to pay you a denarii for your work. So it's a day's wage. Now, I don't know what you make in a day, but just multiply that times a hundred, and you have what this man owed. So he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And here's the stinger to the story. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. So with mercy... If we receive mercy, which we want, we are required to give mercy. The debt that we forgive is far less than the one that we have been forgiven. The torturers mentioned in this story, interesting, I read a lot of commentaries uh, on this, and and the consensus is that is not that uh, they were, you know, putting burning bamboo under his fingernails or something like that. But the tortures, we might liken it to bill collectors who hound us day after day after day to pay an outstanding bill. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I've had people tell me that, you know, when things go to collections, they call and they harass and Every time you hear a phone ring, you develop a flinch response because you know it's on the other end of that. Threats, and, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to garnish. We're going to take away. We're going to hound you until you pay what you owe. The voices in our head that, if you will, torture us over and over again to pay what we owe. And so you and I see through this experience here that if we are to receive God's mercy, we are then to be givers of God's mercy to one another. So forgiveness is really not optional, but there seem to be some barriers to that, uh, to forgiving, that we are to become merciful people. The merciful thing to do is to forgive. Now it's interesting, Pastor Scott last Sunday preached out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, that was your reading assignment for this week from Pastor Scott, and he talked a lot about forgiveness. Now, we did not collaborate on messages here, so I was already planning to to share this message, and I was sitting there on the front row, and I thought, Scott, I'm not going to forgive you for preaching my message a week early here. (laughs) Just kidding. But one of the things that he covered were some of the Beatitudes. And look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Why are they blessed? What is that state of blessedness? Because they will receive or they will obtain mercy. You want mercy? I'll, I'll just give you a hint. You don't want justice. I'm Not to talk about us. We want justice for others. We want mercy for us, right? And yet Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy for themselves. So it's high on, on God's list. God is a merciful God. It's one of his attributes. We're to be like him. And this is an area that we sometimes struggle with. We want to hold grudges. We want to dwell on unforgiveness. But let's see what we can do to move past those barriers. And my first thought here is this, is that forgiveness is not about feelings. Do not depend on your feelings to tell you when it is a good time to forgive, okay? Because feelings are what they are. The truth is we often don't feel like forgiving someone who has wronged us. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, we don't feel like it. Like with everything else in Christianity, it is this. It is doing the right thing In spite of the feelings, okay? Our feelings don't justify doing the right thing or not. We are to do the right thing sometimes, no matter our feelings. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that forgiveness is not optional for us. As you have received mercy, also give mercy. So we forgive first, and then we let the feelings catch up. Do what's right. Do what's right first. And then the feelings catch up. And I'll tell you, it's like a long train. Have you ever been caught at a railroad crossing? And you get the train that begins in Florida, ends in Alaska, right? You know, and it goes and goes and goes. And it sometimes takes a long time for the caboose to to finally pass, right? And that's sometimes the way it is with forgiveness. It's sometimes a very long train. And we forgive, yet the, the feelings don't catch up for a long time but that doesn't negate the idea that we should still forgive. We forgive anyways because it's the right thing to do. It's because of what God has done for us. Aren't you glad that God didn't wait for the feelings to catch up before he forgave us? Is that God forgives us anyways. So if we want to feel the urge to forgive, we may be waiting forever. And we unfortunately perpetuate the, the injury to ourselves in the meantime by retaining the offense and not releasing it. There's a proverb that it's related to another context, another subject, but, but I like the application here. And, and the proverb says, who by taking a live coal into their garment. Okay, so like you're at the fire and uh, there's some coals there in the fire, nice and cherry red. Uh, and you take one of those out, and you put it into your coat, who will not be burned? Right? It's going to happen. You put a coal, a live coal in your garment, you're going to get burned. And, and that's what unforgiveness does to us. And the longer that we choose to not forgive and to release the offense, uh, the deeper the burnt becomes. And we have to recognize that unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other individual. It hurts us. It's been said and I'm not clever enough to think of it this way but uh, I've heard it said that you know when we choose not to forgive it's like giving that person free rent in our head and that tortures us. Uh, while well, they might be going on and living their best life without us. So we gain nothing by allowing anger and hatred to eat at us. But we do gain freedom by allowing God to deal with the wrongdoer and releasing the offense to him. I know that's hard. Sometimes we struggle with it, but I think it's important that we understand the priority of doing what is right first and then letting the feelings catch up. Second thought here, second idea, is true forgiveness does not seek revenge. One of the uh, things in the chapter we love to talk about and we hear at weddings often is is first corinthians 13 commonly referred to as what the the love chapter and describes what love is and then it also describes what love is not and one of the things that love is not is a keeper of a record of wrongdoings and love doesn't keep record of wrong it releases that it lets it go And I think that's an important thing for us to understand the principle of, is that true forgiveness doesn't keep records of of wrong. There are all kinds of ways for us to seek revenge. Isn't that true? Character assassination is probably the most common. And, And here's one, I've mentioned this before, but because I think Christians in particular have a tendency towards this, is that we try to get other people to own our offense. When we have been offended, what do we first do before we forgive? We tell everybody else what the other person has done to us. And we want them to own our offense as if it was theirs. Of course, they're going to do that out of loyalty to our friendship. You know, it's like, are you really my friend if you don't own this offense? When it has nothing to do with you? I remember when this became very clear to me. You ever have two people that you you love as much as you can love? who have offended each other. I know that probably never happens in your circles, but I've experienced that. And I remember one of the people had been offended by the other person and they they were talking to me about that offense. And they were trying to get me to say that I supported them in that offense and wanted to be angry about that offense. I love them. I love them very much. and uh, and I love the other person uh, as well there's nothing that's going to change that and I remember listening and they were urging me you know you should feel this way you should join me in my offense and I finally said hey I I want you to know this that I'm going to love you I'm going to love you until you know we're gone from the earth and nothing will change that and I might offend you and you may not talk to me Anymore after I tell you what I'm going to tell you. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Is I love you and I love that other person. And your offense might be real. It might be legitimate. They might have just gone out of their way to hurt your feelings. I'm not judging that. But I will tell you that your offense with that person is not my offense with that person. And, and we as Christians, we got to get this clear in our head and our understanding it's not a loyalty out of friendship that I'm going to adopt your, your, uh, your offense. We just complicate our lives. We just fill our lives with unneeded drama. And really, instead of joining somebody in their offense, they just need to forgive. Hmm? Wouldn't that simplify the whole matter right there? If that person, if they're a believer, before they try to get a gang of people around them who have shared in their offense, shouldn't they just forgive the other one, and then it would be over? Then it'd be over. Even if that person didn't forgive them, it's like, I I already forgave. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. The scripture says that we are to not lay hands suddenly on anyone, or join in their sin. Unforgiveness is sin. We shouldn't join. Understand, true forgiveness does not seek revenge. And and we try to work that in any way that we can when we are offended and when we're hurt and when we're angry. We don't realize how manipulated by these kinds of responses we can become. Sometimes, out of a twisted sense of loyalty to someone, we join in their offense when the offense is not between the offender and ourselves. And it is none of our business to join someone else's offense. So seeking revenge on someone is really a statement of distrust in God's justice. Now God is a God of mercy, but God is also a God of justice. That's one of his attributes as well. As long as we hold on to the offense, God will not intervene in that he'll let us handle, he'll let us handle the offense if we think we're up to that. But it's when we release that, we say, God, would you help me forgive and help my feelings to catch up to that. But I'm turning this matter over to you, that God will take over at that point. When we release it, then God is able to, to work his justice out in the situation. By retaining our offense, we are saying, God, I don't trust how you will manage this. I believe I could do a better job. That's, that's what we're saying. When we refuse to, to release that, Uh, offense to the Lord. We're just saying, God, I don't trust how you're going to handle this. You might just forgive them, and I don't want that to happen. We're saying that we can do a better job. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do you feel like feeding them? If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How will you do that? By exercising mercy in our lives. By exercising forgiveness. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying we're going to feel like it. But I will say that it's the right thing to do. And that's what God wants for us. My thought is, forgiveness is not about our feelings. You don't have to feel like forgiving in order to forgive. True forgiveness does not seek revenge. And my final thought is forgiveness holds the key to life. I have preached a sermon on many occasions here because I think it's worth repeating. You may have heard me speak it, but I speak a message on the tree of life. And the principle of the tree of life, living in the tree of life, is absolutely upside down to living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, what you're seeing there is the tree of life. And Jesus challenges the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil sounds like this. You've heard it said of old time, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you want justice, there it is. But I say to you, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. It's flipped on its head. And that's how we're to live in the kingdom of God. We're to be people of mercy, not people demanding mercy justice. Forgiveness holds the key to life. I'm going to just read several verses here, uh, most out of the book of Proverbs, but Proverbs 15:30 says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. There's been so much research done about attitudes and even forgiveness in, in particular and how that affects our health. And when we live in unforgiveness, we will pay the price in our bodies. You can talk to Milan over there; he'll tell you a lot about that. Proverbs sixteen twenty four: Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. It's hard to live in in the tree of life when we're demanding payment for our unforgiveness. Proverbs seventeen twenty two: A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Living a merciful life is a good life. Being not weighed down by unforgiveness and demand for payment, that will hurt us. But being merciful and forgiveness is perhaps the single best way that we can be like God. Aren't you glad that all it requires for God to forgive us is by asking? That's all it takes. We don't have to do works of righteousness. We just have to say, would you forgive me of my sin? And he'll help us overcome those things that cause us to sin. But that's the way God lives with us. We are to, uh, what we have received, we are to give to others. Instead of being broken in spirit through anger and forgiveness, that we can live in health in our spirit, mind, soul, and body. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and assemble for closing song this morning. But I want you, uh, maybe, you know, a message on forgiveness. I'm going to, now, next Sunday, um, you don't want to miss next Sunday because next Sunday's message on forgiveness is so much better than this one, okay? (laughs) If you miss next Sunday, you're just going to miss out entirely, okay? i got to work that fear of missing out thing piece, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. We'll probably talk about this to a greater degree next Sunday. But perhaps you're sitting here and, maybe, you know, when talk about unforgiveness, maybe some, maybe something comes up right away and you're like, oh, yeah, that. But maybe maybe you feel like you've got a clean slate right now, and that's great. I hope that's the case. But I do know this, is at some point we do encounter things that are hard to forgive. And I think it's really important for us today to posture ourselves in a place of forgiveness of others, what they've done to us, and we are not saying that our hurt and our offense is not legitimate. It might be incredibly legitimate to be hurt and offended because of what other people have done, but unforgiveness is not legitimate. We got to find a way to be merciful, and the only way that we can really find a way to be merciful is understand as that we have received mercy ourselves. I want us to bow our heads right now and whether you've got kind of a current struggle with unforgiveness, whether you will in the future, I I think as the same, we want to just pray today. God would help us. We receive mercy. We want to extend mercy. Jesus, as we come to the close of this service today, Lord, we pray, help us to be merciful people. Lord, many times, even as your followers, we aren't known for being merciful to others. When others offend us, when others hurt us, when others do things wrong to us, Lord, sometimes we struggle with the forgiveness piece. But I pray today, Lord, whether someone has got a current issue, struggling with forgiving someone who has maybe legitimately hurt them, Lord, I pray, instead of hanging on to that live coal Lord, they'd release it. Release it to you. And Lord, your justice will take care of it for us. Far better, far better than we ever could. And I ask today, Lord, that the hurt and the wound, Lord, once we release the offense, Lord, we begin healing. And Lord, as maybe as dissonant and unlikely as it may seem, would actually love the person who offended us. And Lord, we keep no record of wrongs with them. Lord, we live in health and life and wholeness by, Lord, allowing you to handle all the things that are too toxic for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name today. And if you agree, I want you to just out loud say the two words, I forgive. And we'll say that on three. One, two, three. I forgive. Amen. Amen.